Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined once again by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune. Hi, guys. Hello. Andrew, nice to Ma- see you. I'm uh, got oh, a new, uh, new background with the uh, the beach, nice beach community here. I was just going to say, what are you down in Florida? What's going no. on back there? No, I'm in my basement still. No. You got like <laughs> the palm trees swaying in the breeze, the ocean waves crashing in. Giant I, microphone. Yeah, it's. I mean, it looks very, uh, I mean, even if you're not there, you could be, uh, you could have fooled me. Feels looks- like I'm there. Feels like I'm there. It looks much more pleasant than the dog days of training camp, which is where we've been getting into with the Minnesota Vikings. The have what are you talking about? We got joint practices this week. It's very exciting. That's true. They're finally wrapping it up with some joint practices with Denver today on Thursday of this week. They will host Denver for the second day, followed by Saturday's preseason opener. We will discuss what we want to learn from this Vikings preseason. It's a shortened preseason, the first one, which is three games after the NFL changed the regular season to 17 games. Uh, what do we want to see from these wide receivers, from the defense, from the rookie class, which has really been a non-factor so far in training camp? And then we'll talk a little Teddy Bridgewater, a little Broncos reunions, whether it's George Payton, Bridgewater, all the way down to Mike Boone and Shamar Stephan. Um, we'll focus more on the quarterbacks, though, get into some Kirk Cousins offensive line talk and all of that. Um, guys, though, I think we should start first with what happened Friday after we recorded our podcast, Justin Jefferson goes down with a shoulder injury, a left shoulder injury. When Bashad Breland takes him to the ground, Jefferson immediately starts grabbing that shoulder. He's obviously not, hasn't been practicing. He's not going to play Saturday in the preseason opener. Um, ben, I know everybody came out in terms of nationally and like to say it's not a big deal, but if you could put this injury into context, when we consider the camp that Kirk Cousins has had or not had when he's been isolated, um, how big of a deal is this when you have your number one wide receiver going down and he's going to be out for at least a week, two weeks? We don't know. might be longer. Yeah, the sigh of relief we were told to breathe um, after it happened by those who communicate with the front office Um I don't know if we should be exhaling as deeply as we were told to do. Um, I will say that Cousins and Jefferson certainly have had success before when they haven't had ideal working conditions. They didn't have preseason games last year. They had a shortened training camp. And then Jefferson, of course, sits for the first two weeks of the season largely before becoming the split end the rest of the year in the last 14 games and obviously was put up record-breaking numbers as a rookie and had a great year and seemed to click just fine with Cousins. So that side of things would suggest that they'll be all right. But Jefferson being out, I, I don't think it's something that anybody wants to have. And, and the idea that, I mean, it, it was leaked out that, oh, he's day-to-day. Well, um, we're going on a week now. So it is a good reminder, even if everything is fine, that this organization has not earned the right to be trusted at face value on injuries. They are they play the game like everybody else does. Every team in the NFL does this to some degree. Some do it a lot less than others, but 
this has become part of the operating procedure for this team is to be coy with injury stuff. And if they leak something out to the places that they like to do that, it's typically, oh, it's fine. And we saw this with the Neil Hunter last year as well. And obviously it was not fine. So I think given the nature of the injury, we saw it happen. We saw Jefferson walk right by us. It's, it's nice at this time of year where we can kind of rely on our own eyes, but I, I think it'll probably not be that big of a deal, but it's worth retaining a little bit of skepticism about this until we see him back on the field because a week later we, we haven't yet. Yeah. Mike, what was your reaction when you heard the news? I'm like Ben said, I'm always skeptical, you know, until, until we see him back on the field. Like I was skeptical of the Michael Pierce stuff and that seems to have played out so far in their favor, like the timeline they suggested. So I'll, I'll put one in their, in their ledger for, for that one. He's Andrew, you guys have been out there. He, he looks good. He looks healthy. He's been doing all the, all the team stuff. Um, looks like that calf problem, at least for now is subsiding, but yeah, until, until he's back on the field, there's enough, you know, any injury you always wonder like what's the, what's the real severity. I mean, if, if he ends up missing two or three weeks, I don't think that's really a big deal. Jefferson kind of strikes me, even though he's a, you know, a year two guy, um, still plenty to, you know, still plenty to learn and plenty of, you know, room to grow even after his great rookie season. I, I'm, I'm less worried about his camp reps. I would be more worried about like, is this a four to six week injury where you could be talking about missing week one of the regular season or, you know, not having any time at all to get that timing back with, with Kirk Cousins. So if, if it stretches more than three weeks, that's when my, that's when my real level of concern would, would, would rise. And I don't know where we're at with that idea. Yeah. And, and if you're the Vikings, you're obviously just going to put him in bubble wrap, right. And not force him out there quicker than he needs to be because of how important he is to this offense. It does speak though, to how thin this wide receiver core gets once you drop off past Thielen and Jefferson. And we saw this, we're watching this in training camp practices without Justin Jefferson, Ola BC Johnson, who was the starter, obviously before Justin Jefferson last year, he went down with a torn ACL earlier in camp. They don't have him goes right to down, down to K.J. Osborne, who was a guy that really couldn't even stand out on special teams that much last year. And they feel like he's made a big jump this offseason, but we need to see this in games. And coaches say they want to see this in games before they really know. But K.J. has been the guy filling the Justin Jefferson role of playing outside opposite Adam Thielen. Then they've got Chad Beebe coming in and playing the slot. And then you've got Amir Smith-Marset, the rookie, who – by all accounts, physically has been everything they thought they drafted. Mentally, they're trying to get him locked in, focused, you know, being less of a rookie that way in terms of just having his head in the clouds. They want him to be kind of, I think you've heard coaches say, this kid needs to really kind of focus in and get better on special teams to earn a job. You got Mike Zimmer coming out and calling him out, the rookie Smith-Marset, and saying, you got a guy like Dan Chisena who really can't play wide receiver yet. It's still a new position. He was a track guy at Penn State. He's still relatively new to football but he's got more of an inside lane to get a roster spot because of what he does on special teams than a guy like Smith Marset. Nice but, there, inside lane too. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Although I, it should be pointed out, Andrew, that in Dan Chisena's preferred event, the 400 an inside lane actually would not be advantageous. You would be the top seed if you're in the middle of the track, not the inside lane. is Better, but until North of 400 meters, you're in lanes. So you want to be in like lane five. Good to know. Good to know. He's in lane five for a roster spot, not a nine-lane track. <laughs> and it might be wide receiver number five that is that is gearing toward. Um, Just I wanted do, to educate the people. Yeah. I appreciate that. I'm sure the people. I'm sure do. they do too. <laughs> 
Um, but still, though, it, it, it doesn't matter that if they don't have enough healthy receivers that they're all going to make the, the, the healthiest six or five are going to make the team just based on who makes it out of camp for the preseason because they've got guys dropping. You've got an undrafted rookie who was making some noise in Blake Prohl who went down, had to get carted off the field yesterday. That doesn't look good. It doesn't look like he's going to be available anytime soon, depending on the prognosis of that knee injury. Um, but yeah, Olabisi Johnson going down, Jefferson, Blake Prohl, that leaves them with Adam Thielen, KJ Osborne, just, or, uh, excuse me, Chad Beebe, um, uh, Dan Chisena, Amir Smith-Marset, and then that's about it. They had to bring in a guy in Warren Jackson, a six foot six undrafted receiver who was a Broncos signing, who got cut by Denver. They had to bring him in this week just for depth purposes because their wide receiver core is so banged up. So I think the Jefferson injury, while it might not be a concern for week one at this point, it is kind of telling of like, if you lose one of these guys, there's really a big drop off. There's not any kind of veteran presence behind these guys who you can really rely on and trust. Um, they're really going to have to find some newcomers to really step up and make those waves. And I think with the, the Jefferson injury, it was reported as, as a, a AC joint sprain. It was reported as possibly a separated shoulder too, I think elsewhere. Either way, if it's one of those two things, if that's what's going on, the biggest issue with that is re-injury. I remember talking to Cordero Patterson, who had suffered an AC joint sprain in college. It happened to him again in the pros. And he had talked a lot about, and I think when it happened to him in the pros, it took him three weeks to come back. And I remember him talking about, it's the re-injury factor. It's if I land on this again, if I get hit there again, uh, it's like with Dalvin Cook's shoulder issues, when those have popped out, like it, once it pops out, the chance of it popping out again is, is much higher. Uh, that's at least according to medical people who are a lot smarter than I am about that. So I think that's just the concern with Jefferson is why I don't see them rushing him back. Maybe he might not even play in the preseason because they'd be concerned about just making sure that shoulder is hundred percent right for week one in Cincinnati. Um, but yeah, Ben, that wide receiver depth, they they've talked it up. They've talked how it's going to be competitive, but the injuries have certainly thinned that. And then a guy like Blake Prohl, who Mike Zimmer has even called out and I, from just watching him in camp has looked pretty solid. Now he goes down. And so one of those surprise guys who could possibly make a roster spot is not there. And obviously with BC Johnson down, I just, I don't know where they go if they don't have one of their two guys for the regular season. Yeah. And, and the DD Westbrook thing is worth noting because they, they've had a run of these guys where they've brought them in. We were trying to come up with the list that Kendall Wright was the other yeah. one that we come up with the other day when we were talking about this in the training camp field of, of veterans they brought in on like the $1 million contract. And I was sitting there thinking, like, there's another guy from the Titans, not just Tajay Sharp, but it was Kendall Wright um, that they brought in, probably right after they got rid of Jarius Wright because he was wearing number 17. And those guys have not been terribly significant factors. And D.D. Westbrook so far has not – been able to get on the field and he's still coming back from that ECL. That's going to take a little bit of time, but it's worth holding all of that in context too. I, I think until we see these guys on the field, it again is worth retaining some skepticism because the things we hear initially about, Oh, it's fine. It's fine. I, that is in the interest of the team for that to be out there and everybody to say, nah, not a big deal. Um, now we've seen Jefferson jogging around, catching some passes you know, on the side, not doing a lot, not getting hit, of course, but the fact that it's not in a sling or something is, is a good sign. So we can kind of go off what we see, but, uh, again, it, it's worth keeping in mind what we don't know until we have a better sense of the whole picture. I just don't yeah. think we, 
even and, with what's been leaked out there. And you guys have written about this plenty too. Just the 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 way they've constructed the roster is a lot of you know high end, high money players, and then you know there's not a lot of middle class on on the Vikings roster. That's just kind of how they've how they've gone about things. And you can say that's that's smart. You want to pay your your best players. You don't want to kind of necessarily pay for that you know middle tier of players because that can lead to some mediocrity. But what it does create is pretty significant drop-offs when you have injuries. And we saw that last year in particular, you know, when, when guys went down, um, it's not like you have a, a wealth of, you know, veteran experience or kind of this stopgap necessarily in their place. You know, the, the guys they had to, they had to rely on last season after, especially the defensive injuries, like the depth you might have, you know, bodies behind your star players, but when you don't have much of a middle class, when you don't have these kind of veteran backups, you really, are at the at the mercy of a, a pretty huge drop-off when somebody's not available because of an injury. Yeah, and Westbrook's one of those guys that's expected to be that. Keenan McCardell, the wide receivers coach, spoke to the media yesterday, Wednesday of this week, and had mentioned that when he's available, we expect him to help us. We, I know what he can do, having coached him in Jacksonville, and he said, uh, we obviously would like to see it on the field in the Viking system, but he said he's got enough confidence in what he's capable of doing that this guy can step in and be a number two, number three wide receiver for them and, and contribute right away. And that kind of bumps everybody down. But Westbrook is nine and a half months removed from an ACL tear. And there was clearly a setback because he had a full workout with the team before he signed. Mike Zimmer praised him, said he caught everything. He watched the workout. And then he was actually fielding punts, taking part in some limited practices a little bit at the start. But since then, he's done nothing but put pads on at the beginning of practice stretch a little bit and then go rehab, take the pads off and go rehab elsewhere. And so clearly there was a setback with that knee where they've had to really focus more on the, the rehab and the training and getting that knee right now, as opposed to getting him in the offense, getting those meaningful reps. So I don't know if we're going to see Westbrook in the preseason either, because the last preseason game that they might consider playing starters is in nine days uh, against the Colts on August 21st. And so this, this stuff comes up quickly and we'll talk about the preseason here and what we want to see out of it and, and maybe learn from it. But Mike Zimmer, as coy as he can be about playing time in the preseason, he at least did say uh, about a week ago that that second preseason game is when he expects the starters to get the most run, which means that that third preseason game against the Chiefs on August 27th, he had mentioned that that's the one where a lot of guys have won jobs before in the final preseason game, just roster bubble guys, non-starters, the 50th, 60th guys on the roster, we're probably not going to see starters on August 27th against Kansas City. And if we do, it's not going to be for very long. So Westbrook guy, and then some of these rookies too, they don't have a whole lot of time to get involved here in some preseason action before the regular season goes. So Ben, with the preseason starting on Saturday, I guess run through who we are expecting to see. Uh, we do know it's not going to be a lot of rookies uh, in terms of at least the top rookies. Uh, so what did we learn about Derisaw, Mond, and, and what are you looking to see on Saturday? So I think, I mean, in terms of the playing time stuff, I, I think the way this is going to work, I would expect, is the first one is like the first one, like we've seen in a four-game preseason, where starters play a little bit and get out fairly early, I would think. Um I think where you'll see the difference is the fact that that second one doesn't exist. You'll, you'll kind of go from the first one to let's give them a half worth of work 
uh, in that second one against the Colts. And then the third one will be more like the fourth one has been in the past where starters don't play very much. You're, you're close to cut downs. You're just going to see who can make the roster in that, in that third one. So that would be my sense is, is that the change you're really going to see is what they used to do in the second game where guys get a quarter or whatever that probably goes away. And you say, we're going to jump from one to three essentially in the old model of doing things. So what that means for Saturday, I think my sense of it would be you get the starters in for a drive. That's customarily what they've done in the preseason. Every preseason they've had under Mike Zimmer, starting offense plays nine to 15 plays, depending on what the drive looks like. And then they get out. So I think we'll see that. I think the things to watch are probably more in the second team. How does Jake Browning look as the guy that probably right now has the prime position for that number two spot. Uh, I want to see what happens with that second team offensive line, especially if Christian Derisaw isn't ready yet. Like what's the plan at left tackle then behind Rashad Hill and how um, do you go about it? If, if he's not the guy, I mean, they've, they've had Ole Udo over there a little bit, but you know, what, what kind of options do they feel confident with and, and how do those guys look in a game? I, I think is worth watching. Um, I want to see how Cameron Dantzler looks in a game. I, I think that's important. Um, just given the fact that he's probably still going to be called upon, even though they have these veteran corners in here, you, I mean, Mike Zimmer says it all the time. You, you always need more corners. You have to expect they're going to have to need him at some point. And yeah, I, I think the, the pass rushers beyond Daniil Hunter. I want to see what they're able to get out of that group because that's still a big question, I think, in the next few weeks. Yeah, Mike, how, how much are you looking forward to seeing this defense that's been retooled, put together? I, I don't expect that we're going to see maybe even Daniil Hunter playing on Saturday, but uh, Mike Zimmer did say he does expect Daniil to get some plays in the preseason. Um, but when we're talking about Michael Pierce, Dalvin Tomlinson, Sheldon Richardson, Anthony Barr, healthy and back. I mean, maybe these guys are going to get some time together in the front to at least put together. And, and of course, not even mentioning the secondary, which is all new. Um, there's going to be a lot to look for on defense as well. Yeah, was, I mean, I'm, I'm mostly curious. It feels like every, almost every issue so far in, you know, camp preseason has been with the offense, right? Like we're kind of, you know, whether it was the the quarterback vaccination story, whether it was, you know, the Rick Dennison and the transition to the offensive line, whether it's been the kind of wondering who's going to be on the offensive line because of injuries, because we're kind of waiting on this rookie class where, you know, they have two pretty important draft picks that they hope will fill holes on the offensive line that we're not seeing yet. Um, whether it's the Jefferson injury, like it, there's a lot of questions right now about the offense, which was really the strength, the relative strength of this team in 2020 because of the way the defense played. So I, I guess if there's any bit of good news right now for the Vikings, it's that what has been their traditional strength under Mike Zimmer, the defense seems like it's shaping up to be their strength. They look relatively healthy with Hunter and Pierce um, being, you know, kind of the two, two main pieces of good news there. But I, I gotta be honest, I want to see a lot from this offensive line first, first team and second team in that first preseason game, just to see like, are they, 
immediately overmatched? Are they better than we thought? Because that's just, that's just a storyline that's not going to go away during the season. I do wonder, Ben, what, what's your thoughts on this? I do wonder if we're going to see the offensive line play more than the typical starter group because it isn't really a typical starter group right now because we no, do know – yeah, we know Christian Derrissaw out with the groin injury. He wasn't even at practice Wednesday, which is not a great sign. And we got to see today on Thursday what he's doing if he's out there. But he was at least participating in individual drills, and then all of a sudden he's just not there. And Mike Zimmer has had nothing but um, pessimistic viewpoints on it publicly and saying, look, if the kid can't practice, he can't play. It's a nagging groin injury, all this stuff. And then I just asked Zimmer yesterday. I was going to go with Floyd-like. Sorry, Floyd, Sharif Floyd, like, yes, things to say about this. Yeah, exactly. And it's just been questioning the kind of injury that he's kind of had to go through. And we all know how Zimmer is with guys who are injured. And he's the typical can't make the club in the tub kind of head coach. Um, He hasn't said contract. He hasn't said that about Darisaw, but obviously Darisaw is going to be on the team. It's just a matter of when is he going to play? When is he going to start getting this kind of NFL baptism that these offensive linemen have to get? at some point. And typically you would like that in the preseason. You would like that in training camp. He hasn't taken a single rep, even against the Daniel hunters or the Steven Weatherly's of the Vikings defensive line. It's a big story. The fact that their number one draft pick, the left tackle, the guy that's supposed to replace Riley reef has not been out there. And so I wonder Ben, if we're going to see against the Broncos, Rashad Hill, Oli Udo, Garrett Bradbury, these guys who are really fighting for their long-term futures are just jobs with the Minnesota Vikings, if we're going to see them play with a Jake Browning more, even after they pull Kirk Cousins and some of the other starters. Yeah, I could see that. I think the, the leave the first team offensive line in a little bit longer, there could be some validity to doing that. Um, because like you said, there's a lot of questions with that group and it's not just, <laughs> I'm just watching Mike's face as I say <laughs> so that. Just, it's just every but, year. And it's and with I, a and I, and I saw, or something. And it didn't help that I saw like PFF tweet out video over Sean Slater, like blocking Joey Bosa really well yesterday. It's like, that's cool. I didn't want to trade up for that. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, you kind of go down the line and, uh, whether it's Rashad Hill or Garrett Bradbury, probably in his last shot to show that he's going to be the guy long-term Ezra Cleveland moving from right to left, the battle at right guard. Uh, you feel good about Brian O'Neill, but I do. Yeah. That, there's a lot of questions. So yes, I could certainly see validity in playing those guys a little bit longer because there's a lot to figure out. And, and the, the point on Riley reef, Andrew, as you bring it up, I mean, Riley reef, had one of his better years in Minnesota last year. And and that was a guy that when Dakota Dozier struggled as much as he did and Garrett Bradbury struggled as much as he did, Riley reef was at least serviceable and probably solid. Solid is probably a good word in pass protection. It wasn't great, but uh, for the most part, got the job done. And that standard is not guaranteed this year. I think Rashad Hill, obviously it's been a serviceable pro, but how is he going to do over 17 games of top end pass rushers? And maybe it won't be 17 games. Maybe Darisaw takes that job at some point, but boy, when you haven't seen him at all in training camp, it's hard to think he's just going to pop in there and, and take the job overnight. So you're counting on Rashad Hill and you're counting on him to live up to a standard that, for all of their issues on the offensive line last year was not one of their big worries. And if that becomes one, boy, it's uh, that that's 
that to me is the biggest question with this team. And it's why all of the talk about the defense being better. Yes, it should be better, but you are assuming that that offense produces at the same level again. And I think a lot of that hinges on is that offensive line able to give Kirk cousins better protection than it has in the past. Yeah. And Riley reef was one of their better run blockers as well. Um, And his, his whole thing, I think his weakest point was probably just against some speed pass rushers. We saw him give up some strip sacks here or there during his time in Minnesota. Um, But at the same time, Rashad Hill, what coaches say about him is that he is a decent pass protector. We've seen that from him. However, he's not the best run blocker. Ole Udo, right next to him, playing a new position at guard. We don't know how that transition is going to go. We do know Dalvin Cook has looked phenomenal in training camp. He's looked everything like he has in the past. I would be shocked if we see much out of Dalvin in the preseason, just because why? (laughs) Why, Why would you do that? Um, But we never know. We never know with this coaching staff how often they're going to play some of these veterans. Um, But as as it pertains to the offensive line, run blocking is is just as important because of who they have at running back, how they gear this offense, what Mike Zimmer likes to do, which is pound the ball regardless of who the running back is back there. Um, So with Rashad Hill being not a great run blocker, you're switching out one of your better ones with Reef and a guy in Hill who – is, has never really been that in his career. So, and, and on that line too, on the side of the line, excuse me, where you've got a new guard stepping in uh, and potentially Ole Udo. And speaking of that, we should talk about this rookie class because they've been a non-factor in training camp. Look, they like what they've seen from Patrick Jones, but he's buried on the depth chart. And even when Daniil was out yesterday, it was Jalen Holmes who was getting more reps at end than these rookies. And that's just kind of how this coaching staff works a lot of times. You need to prove it to them in the classroom and and all the other intangible stuff that we really don't get to see as viewers of practice before you get to do it. But even when it comes to the tangible stuff, you've got Mike Zimmer going on K-Fan, I think it was last week, and saying Wyatt Davis basically is overweight. He needs to lose weight. He hasn't. He has been buried on the depth chart at third team right guard behind Drew Samia. This guy that we expected when he was drafted in the third round out of Ohio State, we were we were expecting him to compete for a starting job. And, and that's the expectation when you take a guy in the third round. We saw Pat Elfline start as a rookie at center as a third-round pick. And we see Ezra Cleveland basically get thrown in right away at, at a new position at guard his rookie year as a second-round pick. Uh, Brian O'Neill, late second-rounder, eventually got in there. So Wyatt Davis has really been behind. And that, I think that is kind of a rookie pick that has gone under the radar. And it's been overshadowed by the fact that you've got Mond on the COVID list. You've got Derisaw sitting out, but I, I don't know if either either of you guys have a lot to say about Wyatt Davis. But it has been a disappointing, I think, camp for him so far. I got one thought. I would just say to that, we'll know exactly how they feel um, once we get to more roster cutdowns. Not just their own. Not like they're going to cut Wyatt Davis, but if they have to open up the checkbook and you know, after someone gets cut from some other team, like maybe there's a numbers game somewhere else and there's a veteran out there for a couple million. And they're saying, we kind of got to have this because we don't, we don't know what we've got here that we'll know then what they think of the offensive line and what we think of some of these rookies, I think. Yeah. Ben, what have you thought of the rookies in general? We're talking about Kellen Mond to Wyatt Davis to Patrick Jones, some of those guys. Yeah. I mean, kind of underwhelming, I think to this point for, as much as we thought that group could produce, at least at the top end of it with, with two offensive linemen and potentially Patrick Jones. Yeah. It's been kind of underwhelming. I I think would be my, 
my read on it. Kenny Nwangu, I, I think, has looked awfully good. Um, but Smith Marset got got the Mike Zimmer call out treatment the other day, and and we haven't seen big contributions from a lot of these guys. They're going to play Saturday night without their top two picks in all likelihood with no Kellen Mond, no Christian Derrissaw. And you still, I mean, Chaz Surratt is not a guy that's putting himself in position to, to be that third linebacker. I mean, it looks like it's going to be Nick Vigil. So Cameron Bynum is, he's had some moments, I think, but He's made some nice plays in coverage, but I don't think anybody expects him to be a big contributor right away either. So it's not a group, at least as it currently looks, that is going to provide a lot right away. The places that you thought that was going to happen were the two guys on the offensive line. And if that's not how it's going to go, then it's going to be one of those years where your rookie class isn't providing a whole lot right away. And that means you're counting on all of those veteran free agent pickups to hit. You're counting on improvement from second and third year guys. And you're counting on the guys that you have to have Hunter Barr, Kirk cousins, Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, Harrison Smith, uh, on down the line, Eric Kendricks to stay healthy. And maybe that'll work better than it did last year. It probably won't be worse, but there's a lot of things there that you're counting on to go right. As I suppose every NFL team is, but I don't, think at this point that expecting this big influx of production from the rookie class is terribly reasonable just given what we've seen yeah and the team can sit there and, and wait on Christian Derrissaw because that's the guy who needs to step in and contribute right away they can get by if Ole Udo is a serviceable guard at that spot I do think the transition of from Udo from tackle to guard speaks to the fact that they want bigger guys in there they want guys who can move the pile a little bit they don't want guys who are basically getting benched into Kirk Cousins lap like they had last year with Dakota Dozier. And so their plan at guard seems to be anybody but Dakota. So they, they move Uli Udo inside. Mike Zimmer said at a press conference a couple of days ago that if Udo's going to be our guy, he needs to play. He needs to get in there and get all these reps. And we've seen that in practice. They've had guys rotating in there, but it's mainly been Oli Udo at that spot. And it's just been disappointing to see Wyatt Davis really be a non-factor. And apparently some of that has to do with his physical condition and going into training camp. Um, because oh, of all this, I'm starting to feel like maybe you guys can weigh in on this too. I'm starting to feel like there's a higher degree of variance with this team. There's a the ceiling floor. I felt like in the last two three years when we've thought about it, you you, you kind of look at this team and you're like, ah, you know, somewhere between eight and ten wins, seven and ten wins. I feel like there's like a five to twelve win kind of spread that I would put on this team right now, just based on injuries, based on you know, when you're kind of in this, you know, season where you're counting on a lot of things to go right for jobs to, you know, I just feel like it could, it can, it, there's like a sense that it could fall apart or it could be really good based on the talent and injuries and some other things will tell it. But I just feel like there's a higher degree of variance for this team than there has been on past teams. And maybe it's just, maybe that's just my read on it. Well, that's Kirk Cousins, right, Ben? Like that's Kirk. That's, that's, yeah. it, can, it, it can be Kirk Tober or it can be the Falcons game where it's three turnovers in the second quarter. Like that's just, yeah. that's kind of Kirk. He is a high variance quarterback. There, there is that thing with him and we've seen it over the years. And this is a team that doesn't like to live that way. They have been kind of in that seven to 10 win range for really every seven to 11, I should say for every, every season of Mike Zimmer's career, other than 2017, where 
everything goes right. Yes, I know they lost Sam Bradford. Yes, I know they lost Delvin Cook. But everything else went right, and they had backups that could get the job done in the spots where it did not. That That is an important distinction, I think, is that you had Case Keenum. You had Latavius Murray. You had Jarek McKinnon to fill in those spots where they lost their top guys. And it's harder to have that type of depth when you are constructed financially the way that you currently are. So that also, I think, lends to this potential of it could be boom or bust. And if it's, if it's a boom year, then they'll be able to say, see, last year was a blip. This thing is still on track. Let's keep going with what we have. We know what we're doing. We know how we want to build this thing. And we're headed toward as soon as the Packers get rid of Aaron Rodgers, probably after this year, we have every reason to think we can win the division. The flip side of that is if it busts, who's got a job? I, that's going to be the big question is how many of these guys survive that kind of a year. And yeah, there is certainly that potential that any range of outcomes I think this year is certainly a possibility. Well, let's talk about the quarterbacks because we do have a familiar face in town and Teddy Bridgewater with the Denver Broncos. He's competing for the starting job with Drew Locke over there. He's not going to start Saturday at U.S. Bank Stadium. The Broncos announced that will be Drew Locke followed by Teddy Bridgewater starting or excuse me, coming in uh, maybe second, third quarter, something like that. Um, what did we think of Teddy yesterday? And Mike, I want to get your thoughts certainly on the the fork in the road that really kind of set this franchise on a different path without Teddy. But Ben, what did you think of Teddy yesterday? Because I had written in just the observations off practice. I thought both quarterbacks, Kirk, Teddy, Locke, I guess all of them were just kind of underwhelming. It spoke to maybe how the defenses on the field for both of these teams are better than the quarterbacks in the passing games right now. Yeah, that was my read on it. And I probably watched from where I was standing. I watched more of the Vikings offense against the Broncos defense than I did vice versa. That's kind of how they had it split yesterday was they were using two fields kind of going simultaneously. And so I was on that side a little bit more from, but from what I saw from Teddy and Drew Locke, it was some of the same where the defense won the day both on that field and certainly on the one that I was watching closer, the Broncos defense against the Vikings offense. It, it definitely seemed like that was the case in both with both teams that their defenses were ahead of the other team's offense. And that's probably to be expected, I guess, with Denver who should have a pretty good defense. I mean, they, they've got a lot of guys, especially in that secondary now with Patrick Sertain being part of that group who apparently the, the, the folks that cover that team have been very high on. I had a couple of conversations with people there yesterday that, they were very excited about Patrick Sertain and that that's going to be a pretty good defense again. And that's been their calling card with Vic Fangio certainly going back further than that. And the Vikings have made some additions there as well. So yeah, I thought overall the defenses were ahead of the offenses and, and Teddy drew lock had kind of a rough day. Yeah, Mike, Teddy looked a lot like he did even in Minnesota, where it's, you know, some of the touch passes he's going to get there, but when he tries to go downfield, the ball's going to float on him. It's going to not get there as quickly. It's just his arm has never been the thing, right? So when you had a quarterback who the power arm wasn't his calling card, and then he loses some of his mobility with that, that gigantic knee injury in 2016, you just don't see a whole lot there. You see the poise, you see him getting the ball out on time and quickly, but just some of the passes weren't there. So, I mean, this whole thing of like, boy, if Teddy had stayed healthy, I don't know what their ceiling would have been in Minnesota, but it certainly set the Vikings on a different path. One that 
leads us to asking Kirk Cousins at his press conference this week about, hey, what do you think about Teddy being here? Because it's just what he what he meant to this franchise. Yeah, a few things on Teddy. Um, you know, one, I listened to his news conference yesterday. I wasn't out there, but just listen to it. He's there's a he's always been a mature guy in his answers. He's he seems like more of a grown up now, and that's a weird thing to say. But the Teddy we knew in Minnesota and knew so much more. I mean, that was the, the early part of his career. He was like. 21, 22, 23 years old. He just, he just kind of seems like this life experience Teddy now where he's reflective and kind of talking about things in a different tone. So that struck me. Um, Denver's quarterback situation, no offense to Teddy, uh, still seems like a group that was holding space for someone else uh, that didn't necessarily materialize this year, but could still materialize next year. Um, Mystery, Mike. What's that? The beautiful mystery is it is a beautiful mystery um, that 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 I know Denver probably doesn't want to overcommit to anybody right now because they could very much be in play for Aaron Rodgers if that does happen a year from now. They've got the kind of capital to do that. They've got the defense to to match if they could add a veteran quarterback like that. Um, but yeah, and the 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 divergent path. The, the thing you always the, I don't know if Teddy would have been the long term answer here. I think it would have been interesting to see. Like it's hard to judge him right now because you don't know how much was lost in those. You know, a just because of the injury, the nature of the injury, and b because he missed you know a couple of full years of development or playing on the field. Like that that's a pretty critical time for a quarterback to be just completely out of the picture in his career. Um, what I think is fair to say is that the Vikings were very much built to win in 2016, 2017, 2018. And if you would have had much less money tied up in quarterbacks, whether it was Sam Bradford in 16 and 17 or Kirk Cousins in 18, when Bridgewater would have been on his fifth year option, uh, I would have been interested to see what would have happened those years. I'm less, less curious about 2019 and beyond because I don't know what the contract would have been for Teddy if that would have been the long-term fit. But those three years, um, you know, in 2017 worked out pretty well for them still, but, you know, could they have done more with that if he had been healthy and had been their kind of low cost first contract quarterback? Yeah. Ben, what do you think about that? Cause obviously you, you, you delve into all the cap stuff for us at the star tribune. I mean, it is an interesting thought because I don't think Teddy would have been commanding the 30 to 35 million a year kind of contract. If even if you were healthy. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I wrote about that a little bit last year when he came back to town in the sense that that honeymoon phase. And I say that financially speaking as much as emotionally speaking um, it, that thing where you have a quarterback on a rookie contract that is providing, even if he's an average starter, that's a savings of $15 million a year, probably more than that, that you can put somewhere else. So that is a valuable commodity for NFL teams. And it's a lot of the reason why you see the Packers sort of trying to have their cake and eat it too, where, Hey, Aaron, we want you around. We like that you're playing at an MVP level, but the second you're not, we want to move on so that we can take the advantage of this basically stimulus package of of uh, cap space with a, a rookie quarterback or quarterback on a rookie deal. So the Vikings lost those years when that injury happened because then, like we said, they had to go make the Bradford trade and they didn't feel like that was going to be the long-term answer when you're trading for a guy with a history of knee injuries who was making $18 million a year. 
so then you move on to cousins. So those years that they would have had to devote cap space to other places, which they absolutely would have done because it's an ownership group that has shown it will spend to win. And it is a front office that's been very good at managing the cap effects of that. It is a team that was moving into that new stadium. I mean, that, that first game, that first preseason game at U.S. Bank, Teddy comes in there, nationally televised game, looks great. Optimism is through the roof. And then two days later, he gets hurt. And that's that. So it is very interesting to think about how different that would have been, given the fact they probably would have been aggressive with that money and tried to push all the the chips into the middle and say, we have a team that can win. I mean, heck, they did it with Bradford. I mean, the fact that they made that trade in 16 tells you they thought they had a team that could go win. And yeah, that probably is the approach they would have taken. It, it's interesting to think about how it all would have gone and what 17 would have looked like. Does Teddy get that hot? Play at the level Keenum did. It's 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 a fun what if to consider because yes, it that injury changed a lot of things. It was it was a stunning thing and that it happened as fast as it did, but it changed the course of how they spend their money from that day until now, and it really hasn't gone back. Yeah, and, and it might not have changed anything with Norv Turner because there were certainly issues when yeah, Norv. Yeah, there were issues when Norv was the OC with Teddy as well. So Norv still might have quit on the Vikings in the middle of that season regardless. But we do know the relationship between Teddy and the head coach was a lot better and is a lot better than the current one with the head coach and the the quarterback who costs a lot more, takes those resources away from the defense potentially in terms of that, that money allocation. And then also now with the vaccine thing, that adds a whole new wrinkle into this where even if they agree on some of the other political things that go around the vaccine, they clearly don't agree on just getting it to be available for the football team in which Kirk Cousins still is not vaccinated for the Minnesota Vikings. So he'll do everything, wrap himself in plexiglass, but he won't, won't just get the vaccine. And so that's just throwing a wrench into this relationship that already was kind of tenuous when you heard Mike Zimmer say before they signed Kirk, let's not rob Peter to pay Paul. Let's not try to take all of our stuff from the defense and that they made us into this NFC championship team um, or at least contending team in that game because they had the number one defense and and you've seen them still try to now they have this stars and scrubs roster because they've tried to continue to pay those defenders while also paying Kirk cousins. And then that means, yeah. So when you have that drop off from starters to just no veteran depth, um, that's kind of how you get to this point. And so that the Teddy injury really is just this kind of fork that really set them on a different path financially at that quarterback position as Ben, you just talked about. So, and, and it's, highly unlikely that Cousins is here because even if you don't think Teddy is the long, long-term solution, his fifth-year option was 2018. It just wouldn't have lined up with Cousins free agency, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. They would have had him playing on that, on that contract that year. Yeah, you're right. Cousins is not here in all likelihood if Teddy is a productive quarterback. Well, there are a lot of storylines that are going to be on the field Saturday for the Vikings preseason opener against Denver. We will be talking to you guys next week about all that and then heading into the preseason game against Indianapolis and all the changes with the Minnesota Vikings as they wrapped up training camp this week. Thank you guys for checking out this episode of the Access Vikings podcast. Please check out all of our work at StarTribune.com. And then we will also be doing a Access Vikings podcast live from the Minnesota State Fair at some point. So we will update you guys on when that is going to happen. Maybe you should get off the podcast.